It's, what time is it? Seven o'clock on the West Coast. It's 10 a.m. on the East Coast. It's 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it's 1977. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We started way early tonight, very early tonight. And the reason behind that has to do with our Rumble.com live stream where we were supposed to be tonight. In fact, <laughs> we might even be live on Rumble. I have no freaking idea. After finally, finally getting a call back from RHB Bank, settling all of our financial issues... Uh, it still didn't work, by the way, but we found other means and methods. And um, so we got all that fixed. We got ourselves all set up. Of course, we'd had a, a Rumble account for a long time. All of our shows are videos on rumble.com. Jay Sheldon, no pants. Uh, but we wanted the chance to be able to go live. I am looking at Rumble right now. And it says live, but all it's doing is looping our placeholder thing over and over and over again. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's just sitting there. I have no idea what's going on or if we're live or I don't think we are. But we did everything by the book. We are, however, live on Facebook, on YouTube, and of course on uh, Twitch. TV. So thank you for that and welcome in. And hello to all of our podcast listeners across Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you may listen to your podcast. Thank you for the downloads and the subscriptions over there. We appreciate that very much. It's just funny looking at that. I wish I could show you this. It's just the same please stand by running over and over again. So no freaking idea. I don't know what's happening. It's very weird. I'm just not going to obsess over it. We're just going to push on and push ahead and know that we're here on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. And it will be a video that I'll again wind up having to upload to rumble.com. Jay Sheldon, no pants. Give us a subscribe over there if you wouldn't mind, please. It's very helpful if you do that. All right. So, welcome. And it's a scorcher. It has been unbelievably hot for the last two days. Today, in particular, was just a killer. It was unbelievable. But uh, we got through it somehow. And um, now at night, it's, uh, it's breezy. It, sound, it feels like it might rain. I certainly hope so, because then, of course, if it rains, we'll get some... Uh, We'll get some well-overdue relief from the heat, but it is absolutely... I'm sweating like a farm animal in here, so bear with me. It's Saturday night, yay, and uh, I hope your Saturday night is more eventful uh, than having to sit there and watch some old geezer, some old boomer uh, live stream. But that's what we're here for, to keep you entertained 
share with you some of the stuff that we find on the internet that I find interesting. Some sad, some poignant, some funny. Tonight, uh, well, a sad memorial, but we're not going to really look at it that way. Um, and a little uh, tin hat business and uh, some stupidity from censorship people. And, uh, well, we'll get to it. We will get to it. Right now, it's time to get to the most important thing of the night. Miko Update. <laughs> Miko Update. Yay. Um, Miko went to the doctor today. She's doing well. She is now 10.85 kilos. For a female Shiba Inu, that's pretty big. That's heavy. She's not fat. She's very, she's solid as a rock, but she's not fat. And uh, we went to that doctor today because she's got something in her paw in between her toes. It's all red, and she was favoring it this morning when we woke up. And um, so we thought, okay, she's really, you know, she's limping a little bit. Not horrible. She was still running around chasing the cats and things and the scrats. But enough that it looked quite red. So we wanted to better be safe than sorry. We took her. He looked at it. There is indeed some sort of an infection. So she's on antibiotics. And I've got this pink liquid I have to put on a cotton swab and then put on her paw. She whines a little bit, but honestly, she's, she's really pretty good about it. So she is recovering. It's going to take about a week, hopefully, for the antibiotics to uh, do their business. And um, yeah, so she did go for a short walk tonight and uh, she's doing well. And she sends her regards to all of you. Thank you. We got some cool emails last week, or um, I should say Wednesday, after Wednesday, on uh, her last appearance here on the show. Zane, hello there. Welcome in. Good to have you along for the ride. Hello, Zane. Uh, nice to have you here. You haven't seen you in a while. Zane Hashim has uh, popped in here, dear old friend uh, from... From a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So we did the uh, we did the Miko update, and she's resting downstairs, probably licking her paw. So she's all right. Um, today is the eleventh of September, and nine eleven is obviously a uh, a very solemn day in the United States of America. Um, it is the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of the Twin Towers in New York City exploding, falling to the ground. Um, let me just recommend that you go to YouTube and watch a film called Loose Change. It's dated. It was out, I don't know, maybe what, 10 years ago? but it will probably tell you about everything you need to know about 9-11. Uh, it is very interesting. It will hopefully open your eyes. Sadly, this is the day that uh, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld uh, turned America on its ear, and that's too bad. I... Uh, my story of everybody's got their own 9-11 story, just like when Kennedy was shot, everybody knows exactly what they were doing. I was um, I was about 
six or seven years old, but I do remember that. I remember watching the coverage with uh, Walter Cronkite on CBS on our old tube television. Um, but yeah, um, the day, September 11th, uh, Brian Loke update us by being attacked by terrorists. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually that day had the day off. I was working for the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. I was a uh, detective in the uh, Internal Affairs Department. And um, I was sleeping. It was about 8.30, 8.45, almost 9. And my lieutenant, the head of the department, Cindy Perry, and my lieutenant uh, called me, woke me up and said, um, stay home and, and watch the television. And I said, what, what, what's going on? He, she's like, you don't know? And I was like, no, it's my day off. I, I, I just woke up. And she goes, well, turn the television on and then call me back. So I did that. And um, yeah, I turned it on just in time to see the second plane hit the buildings. And uh, of course was glued to the television. At some point we all went into the office and uh, prepared for whatever was next. Uh, but being in law enforcement on that day, it was uh, it was pretty fateful. I will remember that day uh, forever. And uh, yeah, let me just highly recommend that you check out a film called Loose Change. Uh, and um, Building 7. I'll leave it at that. 20 years ago today. In fact, 20 years ago, just about now, an hour earlier. Hour earlier. All right. Um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time about that, but um, we will kind of loop around and get back a little bit to that again, coming up with some of the other stuff we want to talk about tonight. And of course, we will also have our book tonight. Uh, we're doing the War of the Worlds, if you're not aware of it, if you're the first timer to the show or to the podcast, we read classic books at the end of our show, usually takes up the last 15, 20 minutes or so. And um, we've done tons of them. We've done Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, Little Prince, Velveteen Rabbit. And uh, right now we're doing H.G. Wells' The War of the World. So we'll have another chapter. Chapter eight, I think, is coming up tonight. And uh, I will also give us a plug for patreon.com slash Sheldon. If you'd like to support the show, buy us a coffee, as they say. Uh, it's a very small donation you can make over there on Patreon. There's a couple of other tier levels that'll get you all of our uh, private access to all of our books, our classic books being read uh, chapter by chapter, all laid out for you, cut out of the show and presented in like an audio book kind of format. And... Uh, and some voiceover work and stuff like that. Because among the many jobs that I do, being a professional voiceover artist is another one of them. And um, including most recently a game called No Straight Roads in which I've made a lot of friends uh, from that. And thank you for that, uh, those friendships. Appreciate it. And uh, lots of TV commercials and corporate videos, things like that. And uh, there was a time, I don't know if it still applies, but there was a time 
when, believe it or not, you could not show armpits in TV commercials here in Malaysia. You know, like, like this, you couldn't, you couldn't show that in, in Malaysia on uh, TV commercials, which made advertising underarm deodorant especially fun. Uh, one of the best, I, I, sh I don't think I can air it because I'll get a copyright strike, but there is an ad out there which uses the very censorship ruling that you can't show underarms in the most creative way I've ever seen. I, I, I don't know how to describe it to you. I'll, I'll try and get a link. I'll post that in the show notes, but uh, it is brilliant. Um, anyway, so the... The, uh, the morons who run the censorship board have now decided that you cannot show underwear on home shopping shows. Now, by way of background, television for all intents is virtually dead. Who watches free-to-air television anymore? Virtually no one. Uh, everybody gets their entertainment here online. They, But the TV stations have to do something to make money. They've got huge overheads. And so one of the ways they've found is by doing what used to be laughable television, like the Home Shopping Network. Does that even still exist? I remember that back in the 80s when, uh, when that was popular. But a lot of their programming now on free-to-air television has been profitable programming, I assume, has been to create these shopping channels. It's just like shopping online, except you're watching it on television and you're buying it, I assume, through your phone. I don't know. I don't watch it. I don't buy stuff there. But apparently they sell underwear, you know, men's underwear, women's panties, bras, undergarments. And now they have ordered local TV stations not to display underwear on home shopping shows. So here you go in case, you know, if, if, if this offends you, you might want to avert your eyes now. If you have any young kids in the room, maybe have them leave. There's a bra on my stream. They've issued letters to instruct two local broadcasters to stop displaying male and female undergarments on their home shopping networks. They found the display of inner wear during the shows are indecent and offensive. And no, they were not worn by models. They basically looked like, like this. This story, by the way, from says.com. If you want to read the whole story, you can. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on it because it's stupid. But there you go. You know me in free speech. And this just sticks under my craw like there's no tomorrow. So I guess the underwear would, by the way, I have approached several underwear companies because, you know, the show is called I'm Not Wearing Pants. So my thinking was, what better way to advertise your underwear, probably men's underwear, than on a show called I'm Not Wearing Pants. So I've approached several uh, underwear manufacturers and distributors, and we're in talks still, uh, one very famous one from Australia and uh, a couple of local brands. But um, <laughs> because of that, 
You know the algorithms. They will pick up on anything you do. Even if you're thinking of something, somehow they'll know it. Uh, so now I get underwear ads all over my Facebook uh, newsfeed and my, my junk spam mail. I get inundated by ads for underwear, which is fine. It gives me new resources to approach for advertising on the show. But, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> it just reminded me that all of these, some of these, some of these underwear ads, they are, they're right on the edge of going a little bit too far. And my too far is pretty broad, but yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right, switching gears a little bit here. Um, I found this and I thought it was interesting. I'm not gonna give you the whole story. I'm just gonna give some highlights. But I, this was from uh, inreallife.my. It's a Malaysian site. So if you wanna check out the whole article, there's a bunch of pictures. It's very cool. And it's, uh, it's um, www.inreallife.my. And this article popped up and I thought, how cool is this? Have you ever thought about this? Imagine people who do this for a living. The, the headline is, I'm a commercial diver earning five figures in Malaysia. And here's what working under the sea is like. Check it out. This is basically the capsule this guy lives in, I guess, under the sea at, at pressure, at depth. And here's one of the good reasons why you might want to be careful. Uh, actually, you can't exactly see it because it's hidden behind my, uh, it's hidden. Let me, can I move this? Maybe not. Ah, here we go. Uh, you still can't see it. Wait, let me do a little live online editing and then pull that over. There you go. You see that? Yeah. That's one of the reasons why you might want to be careful. <laughs> Imagine that that was your work environment. This is insane. It's crazy. All right, hang on. I'm going to get it back over here. Um, so work with me for a minute here. Um, how I kick-started my career underwater. Check that out. This is, this is the space this guy lives in. I guess this looks like maybe the hatch coming out of the, uh, of the dive bell or whatever this thing is that they live in. There's the hatch behind him. There's the hole, I assume, that you go out through. This is insane. See, this guy started commercial diving. What's his name, by the way? I gotta give the guy credit. It doesn't say. All right, it'll come up. Uh, it's commercial diving in 2008. You have to get a license. There are three steps. You get your PADI open water certificate, uh, basically a scuba diving license. It's around 800 ringgit to 1,000. Then you uh, put yourself in a commercial diver training course that ranges up to 50 meters. And finally, is save up enough money and experiences and then do a saturation dive up to 300 meters. How cool is that? You uh, don't need to be able to hold your breath or a national swimmer to be certified. The only entry requirement is that you have a minimum age of 18, an open water license, and a little bit of money. Actually, a lot of money, about 100,000 ringgit. Uh, the commercial diving course isn't cheap. My goodness, that's insane. However, commercial divers make a ton. Dang, I'm in the wrong business. Look at this. 
For air divers, one or two hours per 12-hour shift. The rest of the time you're working on deck. Six to eight hundred bucks a day plus an allowance. Air divers with a professional license get 30 to 50 more on top of that. And then saturation divers make between a thousand two and two thousand bucks a day. Plus, plus, plus gas bonus, breathing helium, heliox, helium, and oxygen. Between a thousand two and a thousand six a day. That's insane. I mean, difficult work, not easy. But man, there is some good bucks to be made. That's incredible. And while I'm sure once you start actually diving for a living, it becomes like anything you do. I mean, if you love it and you should, great. But as you know, you and I sitting here in our nice, warm, dry environments are thinking, oh yeah, that'd be dynamite, that'd be cool. After a while, I assume it's probably gonna get to you. But wow, I cannot believe the kind of rates these people make. That's insane, insane. Hey, um, I found this and it needs a little, a little pre-sell here. Um, one of the things that happens when you get older like this guy. Um, and this is a weird thing to talk about, but you know what? One of the things we do on this show is we be honest. So here you go. When you start to get to my age, death becomes something that you actually think about because you are closer to that than you are to your birth. And I'm in my 60s, the beginning of my 60s. And we think about things like that. I have to say, by the way, um, our deepest regrets go out to my cousins. Uh, my Aunt M passed away earlier today. Uh, we remember Aunt M very dearly. She was an incredible woman. Uh, sadly, in the last few years, she suffered from uh, breast cancer and dementia, and uh, she's in a better place now. So Aunt M, we love you. Um, but in addition to our own lives, which I've got a brilliant thing coming up here in a minute. We think about our pets, particularly our dogs, particularly specifically Ms. Miko. Um, but if I have seen, I'm a member of a bunch of different Shiba Inu groups uh, on Facebook, and there's always putting posts and things. And every time someone loses a pet, it gets me it gets me right in the feels. I can't help but get emo about that every time I read one of those stories. I found this, and I think this might help you if you are dealing with the loss of a pet. It's a poem by Emmanuel Grandi, dedicated to our four-legged friends. If you're afraid of giving me few caresses, you should know that I haven't forgotten even one. If you regret scolding me even once, you should know that I don't even remember it. If you think you've left me alone too long, you should know that I've always been waiting for you. If you're afraid to spend little time with me, you should know that even that little, I've enjoyed every moment. If you think you've played little with me, you should know that I've never counted the times you threw the ball at me. If you think I've forgotten your perfume, you should know that even now, I'm smelling it in the wind. 
If you want to be reborn in another life, you should know that I would be your puppy in that one too. If you're convinced you have some flaws, know that you've been the perfect one for me. If you think love can end, you must know that in my heart, the place of love is infinite. If you think you have regrets about me, you should know that I wouldn't change a single second of my life I've spent with you. If you think I no longer hear your voice when you call me, just trust the sunset breeze with the task of bringing me your words. If you think I can forget your face, you should know I wanted to live just to enjoy your look. If you think I could have loved someone more than you, you should know that I've loved you more than myself. If you think I wanted more than you gave me, know that I've always felt like the happiest puppy in the world. If you've ever felt lonely, know I've never felt that in my place next to you. If you think my life's been short, know that I wouldn't have wanted to live another minute if I hadn't spent it by your side. And if you fear I'm no longer near you, know that as soon as you close your eyes, I'll fall asleep next to you. If you think you haven't made the right decision, you should know that I've always trusted you. Always. And if you dream one day of being able to see me again, you must know that I will be there waiting for you, like I've always done. Wow. Heartfelt. That's tough to get through, actually. Wow. From the uh, Shiba Inu group. That was nice. All right. And uh, yes, we're going to keep it on the down, <laughs> on the down side. Because um, I found this, and it relates to a lot of folks these days. Sadly, we have seen more and more people who have um, lost loved ones. And um, whether it's from a virus or whatever the cause, but um, we're never really prepared, I think, to deal with that when it happens. But we should be. When someone goes suddenly, there's little you can do to prepare. It just happens and it was their time, it's their time. But when it's an expected death, when you know that time is coming, some advice here from a, uh, a group called Love. It's, a, it's just simply called Love. And they posted this a couple days ago. And it is brilliant. And it really, it's a, it talks about something that nobody wants to talk about. You don't want to deal with it. But you have to, because it happens. And so I thought I would share this really brilliant piece of advice with you tonight on the uh, passing of a loved one. When someone dies, the first thing to do is nothing. Don't run out and call the nurse. Don't pick up the phone. Take a deep breath and be present to the magnitude of the moment. There's a grace to being at the bedside of someone you love as they make their transition out of this world. At the moment they take their last breath, there's an incredible sacredness in the space. The veil between the two worlds opens. 
We're so unprepared, untrained in how to deal with death that sometimes a kind of panic response kicks in. They're dead. We knew that they were going to die, so their being dead is not a surprise. It's not a problem to be solved. It's very sad, but it's not cause to panic. If anything, their death is cause to take a deep breath, to stop and be really present to what's happening. If you're at home, maybe put on the kettle, make a cup of tea, sit at the bedside and just be present to the experience in the room. What's happening for you? What might be happening for them? What other presences are there that might be supporting them on their way? Tune in to all the beauty, all the magic of that moment. Pausing gives your soul a chance to adjust because no matter how prepared we are, a death is still a shock. If we kick right into the do mode, call 911, call the hospice, we never get a chance to absorb the enormity of the event. Give yourself five minutes, 10 minutes, or 15 to just be. You'll never get that time back again if you don't take it now. After that, do the smallest thing you can. Call the one person who needs to be called. Engage whatever systems need to be engaged, but engage them at the most minimal levels. Move really, really, really slowly. Because this is a period where it's easy for body and soul to get separated. Our bodies can gallop forward, but sometimes our souls haven't caught up. If you have an opportunity to just simply be quiet and be present, take it. Accept, acclimatize, and adjust to whatever's happening. Then as the train starts rolling, and all the things that happen after a death kick in, you'll be prepared. You won't get a chance to catch your breath later on, so you need to do it right now. Be present in the moments after death. It's an incredible gift to yourself. It's a gift to the people you're with, and it's a gift to the person who has just passed. They're just a hair's breath away. They're just starting their new journey into the world without a body. If you keep a calm space around their body and in the room, they're launched in a more beautiful way, which is a service to both sides of the veil. Take the time. Be in the moment. And then move forward. Just some, uh, yeah, I know it's heavy, but it needs to be talked about. And a lot of times, sadly, we don't talk about it. But um, indeed, those are the sort of things that um, we do have to talk about. Okay, let's change gears completely.
Oh, my. Yeah, that was heavy. I knew it was going to be, but I thought, you know what? It needs to be said. So, all right. We're going to get on to our book here. And before we do that, let me just uh, pop up our little, there we go. It's H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, and we've been reading a chapter each show. We're up to chapter eight right now. And uh, it's been interesting, to say the least. The Martians are here and have already set fire to half the, half the town. Uh, this is chapter eight, and it's called Friday Night. The most extraordinary thing came to my mind of all the strange and wonderful things that happened upon that Friday was the dovetailing of the commonplace habits of our social order with the first beginnings of the series of events that was to topple that social order headlong. If on Friday night you'd taken a pair of compasses and drawn a circle with a radius of five miles round the walking sand pits, I doubt you would have had one human being outside it, unless it were some relation of stent or one of the three or four cyclists of London people lying dead in the common, whose emotions or habits were at all affected by the newcomers. Many people had heard of the cylinder, of course, and talked about it at their leisure, but it certainly did not make the sensation that an ultimatum to Germany would have done. In London, that night poor Henderson's telegram describing the gradual unscrewing of the shot was judged to be a canard, and it's his evening paper after wiring for authentication from him and receiving no reply, the man was killed, decided not to print a special edition. Even within the five-mile circle, the great majority of people were inert, I've already described the behavior of the men and women to whom I spoke. All over the district, people were dining, supping, working men were gardening after the labors of the day. Children were being put to bed. Young people were wandering through the lanes, love-making. Students sat over their books. Maybe there was a murmur in the village streets, a novel, a dominant topic in the public houses. And here and there was a messenger or even an eyewitness of the latter occurrences caused a whirl of excitement, a shouting, and a running to and fro. But for the most part, the daily routine of working, eating, drinking, and sleeping all went on as if it had done for countless years, as though no planet Mars existed in the sky. Even at Walking Station and Horschel and Chobham, that was just the case. In Walking Junction, until a late hour, trains were stopping and going on. Others were shunting in the sidings. Passengers were alighting and waiting. and Everything was proceeding in the most ordinary way. A boy from the town, trenching on Smith's Monopoly, was selling papers with the afternoon news the ringing impact of trucks, the sharp whistle of the engines from the junction, mingled with the shouts of, Men from Mars! Excited men came into the station about nine o'clock with incredible tidings and caused no more disturbance than drunkards might have done. 
People rattling London words peered into the darkness outside their carriage windows and saw only a rare flickering, vanishing spark dance up from the direction of Horsell, a red glow and a thin veil of smoke driving across the stars and thought that nothing more serious than a heath fire was happening. It was only round the edge of the common that any disturbance was perceptible. There were a half-dozen villas burning on the walking border. There were lights in all the houses on the common side of the three villages, and the people there kept quiet until dawn. A curious crowd lingered restlessly, people coming and going, but the crowd remaining, both on the Chobham and Horsell bridges, one or two adventurous souls, it was afterwards found, went into the darkness and crawled quite near the Martians. But they never returned. For now and again a light ray, like the beam of a warship searchlight, swept the common, and the heat ray was ready to follow. Save for such, that big area of common was silent and desolate, and the charred bodies lay about on it all night under the stars and all the next day. A noise of hammering from the pit was heard by many people. So you have the state of things on Friday night. In the center, sticking into the skin of our old planet Earth like a poison dart, was this cylinder. But the poison was scarcely working yet. Around it was a patch of silent common smoldering in places, and with a few dark, dimly seen objects lying in comforted attitudes here and there. Here and there was a burning bush, a tree. Beyond was a fringe of excitement, and farther than the fringe, the inflammation had not crept as yet. In the rest of the world, the stream of life still flowed as it had flowed for immemorial years. The fever of war that would presently clog vein and artery, deaden nerve and destroy brain, had still to develop. All night long, the Martians were hammering and stirring, sleepless, indefatigable, and at work on the machines they were making ready and ever and again a puff of green-whitish smoke whirled up to the starlit sky. About eleven, a company of soldiers came through Horsell and deployed along the edge of the common to form a cordon. Later, a second company marched through Chobham to deploy on the north side of the common. Several officers from the Inkerman barracks had been on the common earlier in the day, and one, Major Eden, was reported to be missing. The colonel of the regiment came to the Chobham Bridge and was busy questioning the crowd at midnight. The military authorities were certainly alive to the seriousness of the business. About eleven the next morning's papers were able to say, a squadron of hussars, two maxims, and about four hundred men of the Cardigan Regiment started from Aldershot. A few seconds after midnight, the crowd in the Chertsey Road walking saw a star fall from heaven into the pine woods to the northwest. It had a greenish color 
and caused a silent brightness like summer lighting. This was the second cylinder. And that's chapter eight. Coming up on our next stream on Monday night, we'll move on to chapter nine, which is called The Fighting Begins. Ooh. <laughs> All right, that's H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. We'll continue that next time. Hey, thank you for joining, everybody. Uh, we had a great night. Sadly, I see my standby loop continuing over at Rumble. We tried. If nothing else, please, we'll figure it out. Hopefully, we'll work on this uh, tomorrow, on this live thing. We'll probably do some test live streams over there on Rumble. But uh, I'm not sure that it worked tonight. But do check out rumble.com. Sign up for a free account, no cost to you. And just check out rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. Subscribe, and you'll be able to see all our old shows there. Especially if you're a podcast listener, you can watch the video version of the show there on rumble.com. Sheldon, no pants. Patreon.com Sheldon is where you can help support the show. And I will see you again on Monday night. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, my friends. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>